All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6? 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. So a little bit of Bible reading. Don't get freaked out. 15 verses. We can do it. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Uh, when we read, we're going to read it from the New Living Translation. If you're able to, would you stand one more time? We're going to just pray uh, over this time. I do not have a very long, long word. I just, uh, uh, just con continuing the series that God has given us, just something that I've been uh, kind of mulling over and the Lord wants to share with us. And so let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for our worship team and for our time of worship. Uh, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the lives of your people. I'm so glad, God, that you've got a, a plan and a purpose for each of us. Uh, I'm so glad that nothing happens by accident and that, Lord, you uh, are just working in our lives. You never give up. You're always working. You're always moving. Uh, today, Father, we just pray for our time together uh, that your holy word would speak to us and that we would be challenged uh, and encouraged to be people who surrender and who obey every, every day, God, uh, to you and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So today we're continuing our sermon series called Holy Distortion. Uh, Holy Distortion. Again, the idea behind the series has been uh, that if we're not careful, if you and I are not careful, it is very possible at any time in life to do the right thing, but to do it the wrong way. As a result, some people have wrongly stated at one time or another that the end justifies the means. Now listen, it's a, it's a good thing to do the right thing, right? It's a good thing to do the right thing, but it's even more important to do, uh, uh, that we do the right thing the right way. See, doing the right thing the right way is sometimes determined by our attitude uh, at the time that we do it. I, I like to say, and I've read, that our, our attitude determines our altitude. And so if we want to go places with God, it's important to have a positive out outlook. It's important the, uh, of the attitude that you keep in everything that you do. And so in week one, we looked at two men who did the right thing. Uh, we know from Scripture that they both believed in God and they both prayed, but one prayed the wrong way and the other one prayed the right way. Remember, it wasn't just the words that were spoken in that prayer that made one right and the other, the other one wrong. Doing the right thing the right way is oftentimes determined by our values. We want to have good values, right? And so if we have good values, we know that's going to determine doing the right thing the right way. Those values can sometimes be seen as our posture. Like we know from the scripture that, that during that week, first week, that the Pharisee was very prideful, right? He pridefully saw himself and he spoke of himself like over five times as being more righteous than others as he was praying to God. And, and uh, we know that the tax collector was like the opposite, right? The tax collector, who we knew uh, the tax collector was, was looked down upon. The tax collector, who, who saw himself as being lowly and humble. He even had the posture of just lowering his head and, and just uh, knowing that he was praying to a holy God. And they, they had different postures. Clearly, Jesus Christ justified the tax collector, the evil tax collector, but he rejected the Pharisee. Listen, so doing the right thing the right way does matter. Last week, we looked at two men who built houses, right? They built uh, houses. One did it the right way. The other one did it the wrong way. We said that one built his house on the rock. And if we were to, to kind of um, make that 
so that it makes sense to us or uh, to, to bring it down to our level. The one that built his house on the rock was maybe the one who, who was building his house on God's ways, amen? And we know that that house that was built on the rock was strong against the storm that was to come so that the rain, when the rain came, so when the, the floods came, when the winds came, all of those things in that storm, the house that was built on the rock was not destroyed, but it stood strong. The other one built his house on sand, right? We, we likened uh, building your house on sand like worldly ideas and uh, worldly values, the, the things that you can do in and of yourself that, you know what, I think I know what's right or, or my good outweighs my bad and so that's how I'm gonna build my house. We, we even, we did that. We referred it to ourselves that you yourself, your life can be a house that is built on the rock or your house can be a life that is built on the sand and for the one that built it on the sand, we knew that the rains came, the floods came, the winds came the storm destroyed that house why because it was built on a, on a shoddy foundation the sand it, the scripture even says that it fell down that house fell down with a big crash again Jesus recognized the man who built on the rock as being the wise one and rejected the one who built his house on the sand as being the fool don't be a fool he said Make sure you build your, build your house on a solid foundation. And so listen, both of these holy distortions uh, that we've explored to date should really encourage us, you and I, to glorify God by doing the right thing the right way because it really matters. It really matters. Listen, today I, I want to talk about being zealous or passionate for God. As followers of Christ, when we discover how awesome God is, anybody can say loudly that God is awesome? Amen. Amen. When we discover how awesome God is by reading and obeying His Word, by worshiping Him, uh, by spending time in Him, developing your intimacy in prayer, we begin to develop a genuine zeal and a passion for God. Some people, you can really tell if they're, if they're zealous. You can really tell if they're passionate Often we refer to that as being on fire for God. Anybody hear that phrase? Man, that person is really on fire for God. I heard that a lot during uh, our teen days. And listen, as you read the Bible, it's pretty clear that God wants all of us to have a zeal and a passion for Him and all, for Him in all His ways. And so having a passion and a zeal is a good thing, right? Listen, I remember thinking back to those days when I was in youth group that, and people, they really do mean well, but sometimes they say dumb things, and right? And so we would go away to youth camp. We're trying to send our kids to youth camp, and so we would get sent away, and we had an awesome time, and we would get around the altars. We had a guest evangelist that would come in, and we saw God move powerfully. There were kids that were addicted to all kinds of substances, even at a young age, and during those retreats, during those times at the altar, uh, they were delivered. There was uh, healings. There was just great, great, amazing things that took place. They saw what it was like to serve God and love God amongst their, their peers. And so they, they, we would come back with a, a great zeal and with a great excitement. And we wanted church to be like youth camp. And we wanted God to move in that way. And uh, uh, some people, again, people say uh, some silly things sometimes is, you know, we would hear people say, it's okay, give them a couple weeks. They'll, they'll settle down. You got to watch your words, right? 
the, the reality is we should all be on fire for God. We should all want the zeal for the Lord. Uh, for me, when they come back, I say I want what they got. I say I want it to spread. I say I want our church to, you know what, let's all go to youth camp because whatever they got, I want and we need it. It shouldn't be our place to discourage. It shouldn't be our place to, we got to watch our words. Listen, um, I'll tell you right now, I love to see the passionate zeal in our teens, like I said, when they go to youth camp. I think it's awesome to see our missions team uh, like they did last year. They came back from Mexico ablaze uh, with a real passion for Jesus that, that is very healthy and contagious. Listen, in the context of revivals that are going on right now or the move that God is doing all around our nation, we are seeing college campuses uh, just move in great and awesome ways. We are seeing that happen in some churches, and we sometimes question the methods, right? We sometimes question the expressions that are used, what things are labeled. We even question the emotions connected with the zeal that is going on, And because I've come to realize that some people, they don't like it when we get emotional. I've been told, Pastor Freddie, you've got a nice little church, uh, but you're a little loud. You're, you get a little too excited. Those people, when they praise and worship, they get a little, I, I think I heard somebody scream. I think I, heard, I saw somebody jump, and there's just a little too much there. And so there is that, right? People have their opinions. They, they look, and they kind of judge things, and we question those things. And, and in questioning, sometimes if we're not careful, we, we get to holy distortions, uh, and listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should not ask honest questions and be discerning because we should do that, right? It's okay to ask questions. We're not offended by honest, humble questions. Uh, we, we should be discerning. We need to know if, if this is of God, but we've got to do it humbly. Uh, there's a lot going on that it, to, to me seems a little bit prideful. But, you know, I'm also not saying that we should dismiss or downgrade what is happening all around us because we don't understand it. If you see God doing something and you don't understand it, obviously you should go in scripture. Obviously you should be praying. Obviously you should be kind of weighing it like, man, what is going on? And what is, what is the fruit of what is happening? Is it just an uh, emotional roller coaster or are people getting saved? Uh, are people going out and sharing their faith all of a sudden because something real happened? Uh, are people wanting more of God? Are people doing more than just carrying uh, their, their Bibles? Are they really reading it? Are they really getting into it? Again, you want to ask those, those honest questions. Again, you want to be discerning. But when you do those things, if you see the real and the authentic taking place, we ought to celebrate that. We ought to desire it. Amen? Amen. Not dismiss it or downgrade it because we don't understand it. I, I, I don't know. I, we're emotional beings. <laughs> Uh, when, we're, we're, when we're passionate about something, we express it. Our zeal can be expressed in a variety of ways, but when our zeal crosses over, because it does sometimes, you gotta, you gotta be in balance. When our zeal crosses over to disobedience, when our zeal crosses over to rebellion, when our zeal crosses over into a general disregard uh, for the fruit of the Spirit, this is where holy dis distortion is clearly evident. I want to I break that down a little bit because I know that sometimes people don't quite understand. How can zeal lead to disobedience? 
I can give so many different examples of people in their excitement, right? They do things and maybe they're not in the word of God and say they don't understand what the word of God has already declared. We know that the word of God is our, is our instruction manual, amen? Uh, the word of God is, is the guide to our life. And so if they're not in the word of God, but they have a zeal, maybe they have an excitement for what God is doing, you know, they might come across and say, man, um, you, you, we should have a bar night here. We should serve drinks and maybe bring people from the community. They can come and have a beer and they can come and have alcohol here and then we can share Jesus with them here. How many of you know that's misguided zeal? What other examples? I can give a, 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 just a, a lot of different things. You know, rebellion. You know, in, in our zeal, sometimes uh, people that, you know, again, are not in balance, are not reading the word, are not spending time uh, with the Lord in his presence, uh, uh, you know, growing in inti intimacy with him, sometimes very well-intentioned. You know, I've heard, Pastor, you know, I, I hear from God just like you hear from God, and I think this church should be doing this. And it doesn't fall in line with our mission. You know, we exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. And I've said this before, there are good things that we could do, but they don't fall in line with our mission. And so I have gotten people who, in their zeal, they're excited, they want to do something for God, and so oh, we should do this and we should do that. And usually when they say we should do, they mean I should do. When they say we should do, they mean somebody else should do that. They're not talking about themselves usually. Again, that zeal going into rebellion or, a, like I said, a general disregard for the fruit of the Spirit. We know that love, joy, peace, parts of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, things that should be a part of our lives. Holy Spirit is in us. And as we surrender, as we yield to him, the fruit of the spirit comes forth. But when the flesh is in, in charge, when the flesh is what you're being led by, not being led by the spirit, your, your flesh is leading, all of a sudden there are things that in your zeal could be direct sin, direct disobedience, but you're excited about it and you don't know better. We've got to be careful, amen? Zeal can be good, but zeal is unchecked. If zeal is, un is not discerned, it can lead us in the wrong direction. Again, don't get me wrong. I want revival. Anybody want revival? And say you want to throw that label away. You, you, you don't quite understand it. How many of you want God to move in your life? You want God to do something special in your life. I want us to be on fire for God as we grow in, in Christ. I want us to, be, to have that spirit-led zeal that will not lead us into sin, that will not lead us into compromise. And so we should want to honor God by doing the right things the right way. Amen? Today I want to look at a story. It's very simple, straightforward, not going to spend a ton of time. Probably the majority is the scripture itself, 15 verses. Uh, don't go crazy. It's going to be okay. We'll make it. But it's the story about King David in the Old Testament where we know that he was zealous for God and he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, back into Jerusalem. David wanted the ark to be in, the, in, uh, in place so that the worship of Jehovah God would be at the center of the nation once again. We know that if you know the history of Israel, you know that they would uh, follow God for a season and all of a sudden they would fall into sin and then God would set judge, judgment to them and in that judgment they would get to a low point and they would call out to God and just be on track again and it was just a, a, a cycle. And so through those cycles, we know that they had lost the ark of the covenant 
that the Philistines actually had, had taken it and, and it wasn't in their possession. David wanted it back so he could restore it to its rightful place. And uh, we know that he wanted it to be in Jerusalem so that the worship of Jehovah God would be at the center. Like I said, he wanted to do the right thing. But sadly and unfortunately, as we will read, he and they did it the wrong way. Quick question, silly question, actually. How important is it to read instruction manuals? And listen, I know, I know some of you here like, what is that? Well, I'm a man. I, can, I don't need no instructions. I can figure it out. How important is it to read instruction manuals? Like, some people uh, like to figure things out on their own. They're like an adventure. End up with a bag full of stuff. Others will say that it's important to read them if you want the thing that you're building to actually work the way it's supposed to work. Listen, depending on how it's written, instruction manuals, they can be very helpful, right? I've, I found some to be very helpful, and other times they can leave us very frustrated. My wife loves Ikea. Me, not so much. Ikea instructions, in my personal opinion, are very frustrating. I do not speak Swedish. All right? And so uh, trying to, you know, it's either you read them in Swedish or you follow the pictures that are very small. And you, listen, I've got 2020. I need a magnifying glass to see where exactly that they want that screw to go. And it's kind of just a fuzz. It's just a fuzz. And so it can be very maddening. Listen, generally speaking, if you want to build or do something the right way, you would follow the instructions. And this is where I want to tie that into Proverbs 8.33. This is a scripture I want you to hold on to as we get ready to read this, the text. Proverbs 8.33 says, listen to my instruction. This is God speaking, Jehovah speaking. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Listen to my instruction and be what? And be wise. Do not disregard it. Do not ditch the instructions. Do not get rid of them. Do not think that your way is better than my way because you're going to end up in a little bit of trouble. Let's go to our text. The Bible says in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, beginning at verse 1, again, this is the story, then David again gathered all of the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Abela of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, which is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart. Where did they place it? On a new cart. We're going to talk about that. And they brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart and th that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all of the people of Israel were celebrating. What were they doing? celebrating before the Lord. They were singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, ca uh, castanets, and cymbals. I don't get any ideas, some of you, that uh, like to think of maybe bringing some t uh, tambourines. We, we, no thank you. Uh, we're good. Uh, verse 6, but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and did what? He steadied the ark. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? We'll talk about that. 
Then the Lord's anger, if you didn't know it was a big deal, now you know. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of what? Because of this. Because he steadied the ark. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Verse 8, David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it's still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of, of the Lord back into my care? And so David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. How many months? Three, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household while the ark was there. So there's a blessing, obviously, on the ark. All right, there's a clear blessing. Verse 12, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has. Because why? Because of the ark of God. And so David, he went there. He brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf and David danced before the Lord with all of his might wearing a priestly garment. And so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Such a difference from the first time to the second time, right? I want you to, to notice some things. Listen, I think the story makes it very clear that God is very interested about how a thing is, is done He's as interested about how a thing is done as he is about having it done at all. In fact, doing the right thing the wrong way uh, has been a problem for people all over time. And tragically, we know that David learned this principle when he tried by his own devices to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, to Jerusalem his own way. I say this, I insert this, he should have known better. Why? He had the instructions. He had the instructions. It was, it, listen, it was a costly mistake that literally cost a man his life. When I read for the, when I, listen, when I read for the first time, I, I, re, I remember this story and I was thinking at the time how unfair I thought God was because how he handled the situation, Uzzah died because he steadied the ark? Like it's gonna fall. I, I said this in the earlier service, if you've, got, if you've got children and you ever at a young age put glass around them and happen to fill those with any kind of drinks and, and you know, adults can, some, some, some adults can handle glass with, with drinks without spilling. Um, I'll have some funny stories there, but won't go there now. Um, but children especially, uh, you might want to put um, a lighter colored drink in a paper cup maybe because sometimes they will hit that glass and it's the drink and the glass is coming off the table. It's going to hit a hardwood floor maybe. And, and if you don't do what? If you don't catch it, what's it going to do? It's going to shatter. It's going to break. And so our instinct would be maybe to catch it before it falls, to, to catch it before it's destroyed. I feel like I, I remember thinking Uzzah did what I would have done. 
right? If you didn't have the instruction manual. Um, you have to know the context. You have to know, uh, to, to be able to fully understand, to, to appreciate exactly what happened, you need to know the context. You see, it was the right thing to bring the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to restore worship to its rightful place. But it's, it's the wrong way that made it a holy distortion. After the, the, that, the tragedy, we believe that they, obviously, they looked up the scripture for direction and, and, then, and then the task was completed uh, successfully. We said there was a difference from the first time they did it where Uzzah died and the second time they did it where David is wearing his priestly robes and they are praising God, all kinds of worship breaking out. They are taking steps. They are uh, making a sacrifice unto the Lord. God is their focus. And they are obeying God. There's a difference, big difference between doing the right thing any way possible and doing the right thing the right way. See, you and I, we, we, I can rob a convenience store and if I do it the right way, I might get away with it. I might get away with it. But guess what? It's the wrong thing. It's the wrong thing. Uh, or I can give five bucks to a beggar alongside the road and, and call it right because I gave to charity. I gave to someone in need. But if he buys drugs or, or alcohol with it, I've done the right thing, giving charity, leading to a wrong result. And so we got to figure out, you and I, we got to figure out how to do the right things the right way. How do we personalize this? Does it matter how we worship, how we serve and worship God? Does it matter how we serve and worship God? And I know sometimes we say flippantly, no, we, we can just do whatever. We can just, how you do something is as important as what you do. Uh, you know, our text says that it does matter. Is God only concerned with sincerity? Say sincerity. sincerity. You can be, did you know? Listen, this is going to be revelation for someone. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely convinced of the wrong thing and have zeal for it. You can be sincerely wrong. See, God is concerned with obedience to his commands, to the truth of God's word. We've got the manual. Remember, the, these men in our text, were they were sincere. Uzzah was sincere. I believe that. But they weren't obedient. Listen, when, whenever God calls someone to serve him, God will always give uh, the right equipment and the instructions on how he, that person is to serve him. God is a God of order. God is a God of order. And he has a plan that he, had, he desires to execute through the lives of those that he chooses. And too often, I want you to hear this, too often when God calls us, there's a desire and a temptation to do it our own way. In the power of this flesh. Because sometimes we think we know better. See, the, the heart might be right, the motives might be right, but to do the right thing the wrong way will always, say always, 
That will always have devastating consequences. And that's what happened to King David. See, God had called him, had instructed him to bring back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And yet David did not obey the Lord in the way he transported the covenant. And I'm telling you right now, in your life, the details matter. The details matter. If we're not careful, our great ideas can turn into disaster and not only affect the lives of those around us, but our failures can very easily discourage us and or others from serving Jesus, even when we think we have sincerity on our side. What exactly was the ark of God? I don't want to spend too much time. There's a lot of details. It's amazing how much into the details God is. We know that it was a wooden box, uh, uh, four foot long, two and a half watt feet wide by two and a half feet deep. It was overlaid with gold. It had a crown of gold around the top. We know that it, it had a golden mercy seat. Uh, it had two golden cherubim on each side and uh, the you know with wings. And the ark had four gold rings on the corners and two wooden staves or poles were, that were overlaid with gold that went through the rings and the staves were supposed to be used to carry the ark upon the shoulders when it had been moved. The ark also contained uh, the, the two stone tablets of the law of Moses. It contained the Aaron's rod that budded. It contained a golden pot of manna. The ark represented the presence of God. It also represented the throne in heaven. It represented God's holiness. So wouldn't you think that there would be some details that needed to be followed in how to handle the holiness of God? God gave clear instructions. He gave clear instructions in Scripture. It was to be carried on the shoulders of the, the Kohathites who were of the tribe of Levi. It was not to be moved by just anyone or in just in any manner. It was definitely not to be touched. It was definitely not to be looked into because, again, it represented the holiness of God. After David had taken uh, Jerusalem from the Jebusites and made it the capital and then united the, the kingdoms, the uh, Israel and Judah. He was again eager to make it the religious center. He could not do it without the ark. And so it was good that David was attempting to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Again, it was the capital of the nation. It was to be the designated place of worshiping God in the nation. By moving the ark to Jerusalem, God would be worshiped in the right place by the right people and with all of the necessary furnishings and instruments to best represent and typify the true worship of God in heaven. We know that later in Solomon's time, he actually built a temple and that became the permanent resting place. And, and so we have to ask ourselves a question, very straightforward. What exactly did David do wrong? And some of you might say, well, it wasn't even David, right? Who, who did it? Who touched it? Who, who touched the ark? Uzzah. Uzzah touched the ark. And, and who, who, who put it in a wagon? Was it David. It, it was his men, it was his people. Even though King David himself didn't literally handle the ark as the king, as the king, he was responsible for the actions of his people. So, so what did he or they do wrong? First, they set the ark of God on a new cart. 
They set the ark of God on a new cart. Verse 3, this seemed like a good idea. It would be easier to transport it that way. It might even be, you know, have seemed better or easier than doing it the old-fashioned way. Sometimes you and I, we come up with ideas of doing new and fresh things, and that's all good and well in and of itself. But the reality is, if God has asked you to do something in a certain way, the details matter. New and easy isn't always better. This applies to church and your life too. If the scripture says that something is a sin, you don't try and, uh, and transliterate it and make it so, you know, we're living in a, a modern day and the word of God has to catch up with what's going on. You know, love is love. We, everybody should just be able to love each other. No, the Bible actually calls some things sin and we have to see it for what it is. You know, there are some things that are very black and white in scripture. We can't change scripture for what we want it to say. We can't pick and choose scripture for what we like and for what we don't like new and easy isn't always better god spelled it out clearly in the mosaic law how the ark was to be moved every single priest knew this the ark was not was only to be carried by the wooden staves upon the shoulders uh, we might ask why why does it matter how the ark was carried what's the big deal as long as it was carried it was being moved into jerusalem that should have been good enough well listen first of all God prescribed it to be moved that way. That was the way God wanted it to be done. That should be good enough. That should be, that reason should be sufficient. Listen, God doesn't always tell us why something must be done in a certain way. I said this in the earlier service. Some of you have pocketfuls of whys. Some of you have purses full of whys. You would say today, I have, I have some questions to ask God. I need him to answer why I was allowed to go through this or, or why this came into my life or, or why I had to sustain that for so long or why it didn't seem like he was answering my prayers. My pockets are full of whys. God must answer. My purse is full of whys. God must answer. Oh, he does? God prescribed it a certain way. That's how he wanted it done. That should be good enough. See, his commandments are good enough reason for us to obey them. They come from the Lord. They're the best for, for what God wants to do in your life. You want your life to be blessed. You follow God's rules. You follow the instruction manual. You don't ditch it. You don't throw it to the side and say, well, I'm just gonna try it this way. Or you can, but you know what? You're gonna be left with a lot of leftover parts. You're gonna have some things that are out of place and don't quite fit and it's not quite functioning the right way. Why? Why is this happening? Hello, I gave you the instructions but you think your way is better. The second reason might have been that God wanted the ark to be carried on the shoulders of men. Obviously, he did. 
because in the Old Testament, it was very evident that the Holy Spirit would rest upon them, right? And so there was something to be said about being somewhat connected to God in that way, allowing the Holy Spirit to rest. And so those staves, those poles resting on the shoulders of men as a reminder that they were carrying the holiness of God, that they were, and I was even thinking the position, think about the stave being on your shoulder and how close you might have been to what you could not touch. And just a reminder, you are that close and God is allowing you, you to, to, to even carry it the way he has prescribed. He didn't want to be carried by animals on a new cart. He wanted to be carried by men. The first thing they did wrong was to, to put the ark on a cart. But what else did they do wrong? The second thing wrong that was done was to actually touch the ark. To touch it. In verse 6, Uzzah did what many of us, and you know, if we're reading it the first time, not knowing what the word of God says in the book of Numbers, very detailed. If you go to the book of Numbers, chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 15, it gives you exactly how God told them to do it. They had the instructions. They had it. Again, we question, what's wrong with touching the ark because God said not to? Wasn't Uzzah doing a good thing? Yes, in our human understanding, the way we see it through our own eyes, it might seem like being a good thing. That He was trying not to let it hit the ground, but God set a certain boundary. God set a rule. It sounds like he was doing a good thing and he got punished for it. But listen, touching the ark was a violation of God's word. It's essentially sin. The Bible gives us a listing of things that are sin, right? Even today, it's our instruction manual. There are things that are sin. No one was allowed to touch the ark of God, and so it was a violation of God's holiness for sinful man to touch the holy ark under any circumstances. Remember, obedience, say obedience. Obedience, obedience to God's commands is more important than doing what seems right in our own mind. God doesn't need your or my reasoning to help him out. What God wants is your obedience. Listen, whether we understand it or not, whether we like it or not, whether everyone else thinks it's a good idea or not, God expects us to obey him. And can I tell you something, if you don't already know it, that obedience always leads to blessing. Someone just recently, uh, after one of the other uh, messages, was talking about a hard decision they needed to make. And uh, in the flesh, it would have been easier maybe to, to do the, this one thing, to get ahead, to advance, to, to move forward. And they said, well, you know, I, I know it's not the right thing. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than doing it your way. To obey is doing, is doing it God's way. Listen, if the ark hadn't been placed on the cart in the first place, I want you to get this. If the car, ark had not been placed on the cart in the first place, the oxen would never have stumbled with it on it. 
Uzzah would not have touched it, and God would not have killed him. And so we see that one act of disobedience leads to more disobedience. And once we depart from God's ways and God's patterns, we actually get into more and more trouble. It's a slippery slope. Even King David uh, would have known how the ark of God should have been moved, but apparently he felt a need that, to do it his way. He, he felt there was a newer way, an easier way, a better way to do it. It's interesting, in 1 Chronicles 13 and in verse 1, we read that before they did this, King David conferred with each of his officers. Can I just tell you something? In matters where God has spoken... There is no need to have a conference. I can tell you right now, I was a bad sinner. I was a struggling sinner when I came to Jesus. And I remember those early convictions of the Holy Spirit and knowing what God was telling me was right and knowing what was wrong. But boy, doing what was wrong looked so much more appealing. And so I remembered trying to rationalize. I remembered trying to, you know, I mean, I know God's word says this, but boy, this looks good. And I remember asking other people, you know, God loves me. He would let me do this, right? This would be okay. Well, no, it says in the word of God that, that that's actually sin, that that would be sinning, that you would be de de deceiving or that you would be uh, doing. You know, sometimes we think that sin is only what we do. Sometimes sin is what we don't do. The sins of commission that you do and sins of omission. You're not going to tell anybody where it's kind of behind the scenes. Listen, there's, there's definite leading of God where he wants us to do the right thing the right way. And, and we compromise. We compromise. There was no need, like I said, for David to consult those guys. David just thought he had a better idea. Worship team, come. Listen, David had a zeal for God. How many of you would agree? In just that, that statement alone, that is a good thing. Having a zeal for God is a good thing, right? Having a passion for God is a good thing. But in his zeal, we know that he allowed the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, to be handled the wrong way. There's a, there's a difference. We, also, there's a difference between people who do not know any better and people who refuse to obey God's ways. I had actually forgotten this. It, 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 you know, to people who know better, God always gives grace. And if you know the full story, the Philistines, when they captured the ark of God, I had forgotten this. They touched it. Nobody died. They put it on a cart. No judgment. I mean, God judged them for idolatry. I mean, it, it was not even as severe as how God judged Uzzah by killing him on the spot. But they did not know better. See, people who refuse to obey will be held accountable. We have the instruction manual. To whom much is given, much is required. In closing, listen, David's desire was to move the ark of God. 
And that was a good thing. He just did it the wrong way. God expects us to obey, even if we think we have a better idea. Remember, God's word never changes. Let me say that again for the people in the back. God's word never changes. People in the wings, God's word never changes. It's always good. It's always current. It's always relevant. New ideas are good. Being creative is good, but it always needs to be in agreement with the word of God. God may not always explain himself. We may not always understand his reasons, but remember this, sincerity is good but obedience is better. So make a commitment to do the right thing the right way. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your help. You know I struggled with this one, uh, but Lord, it's yours. It's yours. Uh, the seeds have been planted. The message has been shared. And Lord, you are doing a work. You are helping some folks to process some, some decisions, some of the zeal that they operate in, things that they do. Father, you're, you're working. You're doing a work, and we thank you for it. We ask, Lord, that you would touch your people, that you would lead and guide us. Help us, Lord, to do the right thing the right way. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Let's close in worship.